Hello and welcome back to Podcasting is Praxis. I'm David, my pronouns are he and him. I'm Jamie, my pronouns are he and him. I'm Rob, and mine are he and him. And I'm Alistair, my pronouns are also he and him. So yeah, hello, welcome back to this um, post-episode 200 um, episode. We live in a post-justified world until they finally release this new fucking some, season. Some people might call it 201. Damn. Some people might. They would be fools because there's other episodes that we don't technically count, so who can say what number it truly is? Um, but yeah, so uh, let's. we're not going to talk about Justified anymore. Um, that's probably a lie, but you know, see how well we fucking stick to that. Uh, but we have more important things to talk about, and we've drafted in an expert in the form of... Uh, fuck. Oh, shit. Gareth, I'm sorry. I just completely fucking blanked on your second name. <laughs> <laughs> oh, fucking hell, I wasn't looking at the right window. We've <clears throat> dragged in some guy with a name. Uh, he's a guy, he has a name, he's here. Uh, uh, yeah, my name is Gareth Dennis. Uh, my pronouns are he and him. Oh, wel- welcome, welcome here. Which um, means you have to Gareth keep that in the name. edit now. Yep, I do. Thanks for that. <laughs> I, lo- I, love I love it when a guest suffer. comes on and starts fucking with David. It's great. That. Honestly, that just shows that you've got the vibe of this fucking down pat, so well done. Um, yeah, so um, Gareth, obviously we've got you on to talk about trains and train-related things, but unfortunately Rob has to inflict a bunch of news on us first. Yeah, before we before we get to our uh, main topics. First, um, we've talked about in the, on this podcast, we talked a few times about free ports, one of my favourite little side obsessions. Uh, and on the sick next... of fucking hearing about them, if I'm honest. Well, you know, <laughs> too bad for you, you're still on this podcast. Um, so yeah. on the last premium episode, and this is a bit of a follow-up for that, so if you're not a member, sucks to be you, and you should probably join the, po- the, the, the Patreon. Um Anyway, we've talk- probably joined the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Can Most you say what your name is happen. and what your pronouns are in one go? Well, Boyd, how do you ever supposed to be I mean, as long as the Patreon money keeps flowing, I don't care who, who the fuck does these actual episodes. So, um, anyway. Rob so outsourcing live on the show. Incredible. <laughs> <laughs> Um, yeah, if you can drop ship, can you drop ship a podcast? Inquiring minds would like to know. Um, anyway, <laughs> um, so on our last premium one, but also you know you should have just read around. Uh, we talked about some of the strange dealings surrounding the T side free port in particular, um, and this is basically as a very basic recap. Um, Labour MP Andy McDonald talked in Parliament about a very good article in uh, Private Eye about some very odd property deals and allegedly the sale of a hundred million worth of land inside the Freeport, uh, the Teesside Freeport for a hundred pounds to two of his mates who coincidentally also give him campaign donations. This is, you know, they, we, we draw no direct uh, parallels. Um, wow, that, that's, a, that's a Robert Pesto certified odd on that one <laughs> yeah, did, did i did i like uh like fade out of reality there for a second or did you not mention whose mates they were because uh i, I can't actually an because he brought up an article but then you didn't like i can actually um so labor mp Annie mcdonald talked in parliament about this article in private eye uh about how uh mayor ben houchin or houchin i don't know how you pronounce that and i don't care to learn no, um, but what did i just tell you um I don't care. 
basically, until uh, he's also the head of the like development authority in charge of the Freeport, and until December of last year, fifty uh, percent of the Freeport was owned by the public and by the Teesside Valley Authority. Um, and then, in a closed meeting with Ben Houchen and some of his friends, they agreed uh, to transfer ninety percent of those public shares. So overall like 90 or 95 percent of the total holdings to um these two private guys ian waller and joseph musgrave again this is from uh the financial times and from private eye um and they sold that land to to, to those two guys uh, and they're both as it turns out uh tory donors uh they've donated in total about twelve thousand five hundred pounds to various tories including seven thousand pounds to ben houchin himself now of course there's nothing going on there and we are not you know we're not implying anything we're just stating some an interesting series of events I mean, it yeah. would be it, a notable improvement would obviously be if this was done uh, by a bunch of Labour donors. So, oh, exactly. Yeah. Well, those <laughs> think about that when, when you're when you're voting at the next uh, next election. Yeah. <laughs> or go back in time and you know change your vote at the council uh, election if, if if you really feel like it. Um, anyway, so as a result of all these shenanigans, uh, there's been an interesting new development, which is that two of the major investment uh, investors in the Freeport who actually want to build something there, uh, BP and an energy company called Equinor, are both demanding. Um, new corruption-free clauses uh, before they start building uh, a giant new power station. Uh, this is incredible. This is, this is like when this is like when you have like a, a strongman competition and they have to specify it's drug-free. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, this is from an article in The Telegraph. Uh, Tease Works directors are understood to have pledged that uh, assets at the site had not been acquired because of an unacceptable act nor have they hidden or dissimulated and will not hide or dissimulate the nature, origin, location, disposition, or ownership of the assets, rights, or values. That's a hard, that's a hard like, the questions I have are answered by the, the T-shirt <laughs> yeah. type situation, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, the warranties, so these, these side contracts of you guarantee to us that this is not a corrupt sinkhole, uh, also uh, are also believed to state that the, um, like, if... If it turns out that there is any hypothetical corruption, um, then the Teesside Valley Authority would be on the hook for paying out BP and Equinor to get out of these contracts and presumably some level of damages. So, you know, it's that really... That sounds fine. It, I'm sure they can afford that. It's it's truly a good sign of your, like, Freeport project. Does, is when, that not, would that not be a public liability, though, again? It so would it, be, yeah. Even then, it would be the, it'd be the public, not the, not the private corrupt individual potentially you know not necessarily you know in minecraft corrupt individuals well, it's, uh, <laughs> who, uh, who, who are involved in the process so it, 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 it's a lose-lose situation for uh, us but, the people i mean i don't know now the... you're thinking with pfi <laughs> <laughs> i mean that's an interesting question gareth because i don't know legally speaking whether or not these liabilities are personal to the directors of the tees valley authority or, or whether they are you know limited to the Tees Valley Authority itself. Uh, it depends on the legal form, I think, of the, the, the authority, but let's basically assume that, you know, um, that Ben Houchen, if there were to be corruption, case, could get away with it. That one. Yeah. But, yeah. but, like, the, the remarkable thing about this whole sort of side note is that, like, it is really a very remarkable state of affairs when, like, BP, the oil company, is saying to you, 
we think you're corrupt and this is a bad idea. <laughs> Yo, this shit's a bit <laughs> fucked up, don't you think? <laughs> like, ethics lessons from BP is really uh, an in- in- incredible sign of the times. Uh, although, I will say... I've, I've the- got to ask, bef- before we move on, are, are we allowed to invoke in in Minecraft for libel now, as well as for threats? Because that's pretty cool. <laughs> no, there, there, was, there were not, um, but there was a lot of ifs there, which technically make it fine. Um, too late. Yeah, not yeah we, were, we, were, we were abstracting the characters in this piece and, and, <laughs> and, and, and projecting them into a, a hypothetical story, you know, a, a yeah. fiction, you might say. My not committing s- large scale fraud diamond breastplate is raising a lot of questions. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever the answer to Jamie's question just there was, uh, he's already written it down, so I wouldn't worry about it. <laughs> I mean, although I will say that the project BP and Equinor are involved in is to build a giant new um, gas-powered uh, power station uh, with an attached carbon capture and storage site. So, you know... Uh, oh, boy! Or I love, yes, we love them! Hooray! <laughs> <laughs> uh, apparently, we're going to, like, pipe all the CO2 offshore into an empty oil field, and I can't imagine that, like... Um... Oh, yeah, the off the, the off offshore oil field that the the gas site that we're going to pump all the CO2 in is called Endurance. So, you know, I have no further questions. Uh-huh. <laughs> Just going to anger the old ones, are we? <laughs> or we're going to make them bigger. It's like it's like a balloon. It's like, you know, one of those CO2 canisters for, like, really f- rapidly doing a bunch of balloons. It's like we're going to inflate a great old one like a puffer fish. This is literally the plot of that awful Amazon series, The Rig. <laughs> is it? <laughs> I've got to say, I, I got brief, very briefly excited when Rob said, like, oh, they're building a large gas power. And I thought, oh, what could it be? There's loads of things you can power with gas in a power plant. For fuck's sake, like, you know what I mean? I thought maybe, like, a giant one of those guys that dances outside of car sales rooms. Like a, gi- a giant inflatable Rishi Sunak. Yeah. <laughs> that would be incredible, though. Like, <laughs> a whole six feet tall. Yeah. <laughs> That's where all the money of the three, three times scale. That's where all the leveling up <laughs> funds went to, like this giant, you know, wavy guy from outside a second-hand car dealership. <laughs> In a high wind, it just bends completely over and sinks ferries. <laughs> uh, anyway, uh, onto something completely different. This is something Alistair you sent to the, the podcast. There's, an, uh, there's a good new uh, survey out in the US of like office job workers <laughs> that um, on average they do like ten hours of week uh, a week of what the the survey called productivity theater. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh, this is this is this is fantastic because uh, what I am, we need I am the f- is. I am the Laurence Olivier of productivity theatre. I'll tell you that. <laughs> what we need is uh, for the workplace to be more like a fucking um, boarding an airplane. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or just search out to the office one day wearing a big ruff and holding a skull and just like running around yeah. seeing what happens. I'm, I'm classically trained, don't you know? <laughs> <laughs> I say as I enter in my blobby outfit. <laughs> Uh, basically, like they surmise that why are people engaged in ten hours a week of productivity uh, bullshit? And that's because like the economy is bad again and people are being fired. Jobs are a lot of fucking bullshit. 
Yeah, that's the point they're missing. It's just like, no, jobs are bullshit. And like, it's, yeah. But they're saying now, uh, you know, like a lot of people are getting fired, especially in like San Francisco and like uh, Meta and stuff. So everybody is like just um, uh, uh, doing what they called performative work, which is stuff that makes you look busy without actually doing anything. Just so like your middle manager can see you doing thing. <laughs> that one guy at Tesla whose job was just to run a matrix code screensaver whenever Elon Musk walked by. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Our hero. <laughs> this is from uh, the article. Um, Common performative activities include responding to emails or messages unnecessarily quickly. Sedu- <laughs> Do you want the work done or not? What the fuck made your mind up? Uh, scheduling emails or messages for the future. Oh, fucking hell. I'm going to reorganise my workplace and just bury like a series of time capsules in my lawn and then just say, look, I've been really busy. <laughs> You're missing the most important one at the end there, though, Rob. Yeah, yeah. All attending, attending unnecessary un- meetings. Yeah. Uh, what we're, I would like to raise a point of order that all meetings are unnecessary. Yes. <laughs> I mean, yeah, no, there's, there's no point at most, most meetings. You could just, like, you might as well send an, another unnecessary email and just get on with your day. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the Not thing about an unnecessary email is they're a lot easier to ignore. Yeah, or to mm. respond to very quickly with more unnecessary emails. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I'd love to be the guy that responds to unnecessary meetings very quickly. <laughs> just bolting into the into the meeting room. Uh, as soon as you get the invite, just just in case. <laughs> uh, yeah. Anyway, so apart from all work being bullshit, uh, life in the UK also still bullshit. I know that's kind of a kind of a theme of oh. this this podcast in general. Um, there was an incredible, well, it was more fun in the headline than it was in the reading, although there were some good bits in there. There was an incredible piece in the Sunday Times this weekend um, by a guy called Ali Hussein. Uh, the title was 200k a year and struggling. Affluence isn't what it was. <laughs> <laughs> What's the opposite of an erection? Because I have that right now. <laughs> Centrism. <laughs> Uh, subtitled want to get married have two children send them to private school live in a nice house take two foreign holidays a year and stop at wa- shop at Waitrose then you will both need to earn more than 100k a year okay what if I don't want to do those things yeah <laughs> then you shouldn't be reading the times I'm sorry you've been consigned to the deal pit. <laughs> um yeah anyway so they 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 actually got some fucking number one consultancy to do some basics on it um so like i said 200k pre-tax which leaves you with about 150k a year post uh so that's more than ten thousand pounds a month that you bring in clean um so these are some of the expenditures that they calculate per month. So about 750 quid a month just on groceries so like food and drink alone uh which that yeah um, 800 on pensions, 3,800 pounds a month on s- public school fees. 
To be fair, that's about the same as regular childcare, as I'm about to, as I'm finding out with with our wee one. Uh, yeah, so so I can kind of be like, oh yeah, that's that's just regular uh, childcare. That's how much it costs for childcare these days, uh, thanks to the the government's uh, obsession with just funding that industry without growing its capacity. That's a, that's one for another episode. I really want to do an episode on on, on like childcare costs and stuff, actually, because it's it's fascinating. I know that their latest thing was just like say, oh yeah, if you want to look after like very small children, you don't need any qualifications anymore, like. You can just go ham, essentially. Like do you- kind of, the, Tor- the Tories have managed to create a private school system for preschoolers just by like in, they've just managed to create that in in like a decade. It's quite spectacular, really. Well, Gareth, what you need to do is you need to flip it on its head and send your infant to Eton. <laughs> yeah. uh, that would do it. Yeah, that would do it. Uh, yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. You're you're Be very prime small- minister within ten years. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> fast track. <laughs> You do have to give your child some absurd, like, double-barreled name, or, like, does your child have, like, the name of a horse already? Because then, like, they're already two, two or three <laughs> steps ahead. Uh, a couple consisting of a dentist and an NHS ophthalmologist said, so this is uh, people that they interviewed, which oh, is Oh, Rob, no, 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 Rob, Rob, you missed out the 3,000 a year on private health care, oh, yeah. that everyone in this country needs. Yeah, that everybody. All, of course. I'm, all I'm hearing right I mean, now it, it's is that fucking getting that way. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. All yeah. I'm all I'm hearing so far though is that uh, rich people's lives would also be incredible, like incredibly improved with communism. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> Everybody's lives would be. Give it a try. We promise it will work out. <laughs> also, I, I've I've got some advice, some financial advice for them, which is uh, cut the public school fees and cut the private health care, and you'll be swimming in it. Like, it's easy. Don't send your kids to private school. Buy less candles. What if, what if they saw a poor, a poor person? Oh, that's it. That's the problem, isn't it? These people would be, would be not struggling if they simply did not spend money on making their children into an elite uh, black Mutant. slate to be turned yeah. into an automaton. What they should do is you should give me all of their fucking money and then sign on. <laughs> miles happier, I guarantee it. What or Jamie? What you could do is open a private school yourself, and then <laughs> just like work. To be honest, Matt. <laughs> a couple consisting of a dentist and an NHS ophthalmologist said they had to make cutbacks despite having a joint household income of two hundred and five thousand pounds. The couple who do not wish to be identified, one, I you know, fucking don't. <laughs> one never. <laughs> Uh, have children aged 16 and 14 and school fees were £3,100 a month last year going up to 3400 in September last year they were a little bit less blah blah there's just not enough wriggle room anymore said the ophthalmologist it may be hard to feel sorry for people in our position but we are used to a particular lifestyle and are now forced to make changes I know just, people just who jump in there and say like so that's what that's gone. Fee the school fees that a they don't need to to pay anyway because all private schools should be abolished. But like three, that's that's a thirteen thirteen percent ish rise in the fees. And um, the cost of basics, the cost of food basics, has increased by like two to three hundred percent because of the changes that supermarkets have made to the way that they sell like the cheapest uh, food products. So like they're moaning about their uh, the type of life they've got, and and people literally can no longer afford to 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 like actually afford to pay for food putting aside all the all the food bank stuff that, like it's incredible this is when you, I mean, this when is ta- you um, this is table stakes i'm getting wound up by an obvious baiting table stakes piece yeah in the, in, in the when you when you that, juxtapose but... those two things though uh i come up with a potential solution 
Is it Soylent yes. again? Soylent, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Hitchcock I mean... pulling his ropes with the guillotine behind him. <laughs> in Minecraft. <laughs> the couple... Who you, li- you do have to feel for them, though, adjusting to this lifestyle change. Can you imagine how many bees are left on their windowsills now? <laughs> 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 it's crazy but, that there are couples in London who have been hit with a bigger rent increase on like the same like yeah base rate like three thousand one hundred a month in London like <laughs> oh no yeah. my children have to cost slightly more to send to school which is a fraction of our monthly income yeah but the crazy thing is these people don't even live in London the couple who live in the north northeast of England have cut back oh my god yes. <laughs> 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 well, house prices are like a sixth yeah. of what they are in London, if not. I presume that's why they haven't. I presume that's why they haven't even included that in the um, monthly expenditure, like yeah, mortgage tax rent. Right. They just don't it right. Yeah, yeah. Uh, have cut back on holidays, so take only one a year, costing about seven thousand pounds. What? <laughs> are they going to the fucking moon? <laughs> <laughs> That's the, the cost of a Virgin Galactic ticket right there. <laughs> yeah, they they take that space rocket that ends up like uh, sticking out of the eye of the moon. It's, uh, you know. <laughs> <That's>, yeah. <laughs> I wish it was a fucking one way rocket. <clears throat> but don't worry, it gets, it gets even worse and sadder. Their children take packed lunches to school and they have no... Oh, or, Christ. Okay, yeah, that's fine. That's, that's fine. Okay, let's just baseline that. That's fine. I, I took a pa- packed lunch. I used to have, like, you know, the, the yogurt yogurt bananas and whatever it was that mum used to get and put in my packed lunch. That was fine. I'm sure that they that's a quite reasonable expense for them. It's not going to be an enormous amount of money for the packed lunches. Surely. Yeah, but, like, if they take a packed lunch to school, then, you know, like, Miffy Pederast will, will bully them or, you know, whatever pricks <laughs> they go to school with. <laughs> oh. And they have not replaced their two cars for almost ten years. I mean, truly, this, you know, incredible... Look, this whole piece is obviously like just massive fucking bait, and, and we all know it. But like, if you want to take a, it is, it is. We're all suckers. Okay, fine. But, but it, it, yeah, you... but this sometimes you get a delicious worm in exchange. <laughs> <laughs> but like, if you want to take like a broader point from this, apart from that, we should just you know eat these people or put them in a re-education camp. It's just like that. Even these people, because they're apart from like this specific example, they did do like some general like number crunching that like this lifestyle that these pricks have would, um, you know, in taking an account in inflation, all that stuff would have cost about ninety two thousand pounds a year in uh, nineteen eighty five. Um, but now it's, it's over his money. Yeah yeah, 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 yeah. But now it's over two hundred k. So like, even if you're in this lifestyle, like you need twice the money just to keep up with like what your parents were doing so like this is uh, yeah, you're right it is an absolutely key point because because the, the reality that i mean it's the same in the us but potentially to an even more extreme britain is a poor country that has extremely rich people living in it yes in a yeah. few places like this is a really and what's funny is that the bar at which actually not rich is sitting is as you say it's like moving upwards exponentially these people are all just going to move out to Abu Dhabi and Dubai. That's that's basically what's if they can, they're just going to move to Dubai. Which you know, in some cases, that's great. But in, but it just it's it's in, yeah, you're right. It's very interesting that uh, 
Britain is really raising, we're raising the bar, and that bar is the line at which people are, are in poverty. 100%. Well, I didn't mention it because I, I just wanted to skim this article, essentially, but it also goes into, like, basically it says that more and more people are, like, relying on money from their parents or, like, inheritances from grandparents to, like, keep the lifestyle going. Like, I mean, look, these people don't feel sad for them for a fucking second because they earn 200k a year, but, like, you know, you, you have one or two more generations of that kind of inheritance and, you know, that kind of Rob. leftover class stabilization. And then, like, that's gone too. And then it's all just sucked upward into, you know, high finance in the hands of fewer and fewer people. It's like, I don't know, it's something, something capitalism. It sounds like one of those, uh, I think they called it, it's called an inherent contradiction, something like that. I've, mm. I've, I've been hearing a lot about these lately. Yeah. So, but, but I do find interesting is like these people are obviously like either they're upper class or at the very top end of the middle class, depending on how you draw your, you know, I don't know whether your official bounds are drawn or where you draw your personal lines, but it's like these people, like, again, don't feel sorry for them, but they can't, if these people can't keep up, like, what? Yeah, exactly. People are on minimum wage, you know, on, on pro rata salaries that are less than the minimum wage annually. Yeah. Absolutely. And, and the other thing is, is that we've got an economy that's, reor that's kind of currently reorganizing itself to service only people who are in that economic bracket. Yeah. So the economy is reorganizing itself to only, you know, like the provision of food at supermarkets is a good example. Supermarkets are no longer providing the cheapest tin of, of, of soup or the, you know, the smallest uh, unit of a, of a, of a multipack. Everything's in larger and larger quantities. They're getting rid of the, the Tesco value thing and they're increasing the number of like high value, like, you know, four cookies in a packet that costs eight quid type situation. The Tesco finest cookie, yeah. Yeah, they're reordering the economy to, to very much facilitate the people who we've just talked about. And even those people can't afford it. So it's, yeah, just think on anyone who's kind of earning anything, kind of anything in the region of, of 20, 30K or less. And 30K used to be, a, you know, my graduate salary when I started was 25. That's, you know, if, you st if you're on 25 or less, you're really struggling. If, you're, if your household income is 25 and you've got a kid or two, yeah, not, not, good, not really viable. No, good luck, no. So like, something anyway. um, just just while we're actually talking about the food prices and stuff, something okay. I've noticed recently is a lot more shops are doing the Tesco Club Card type deal, where if you give us a bunch of your personal information, um, yeah. we'll make things slightly cheaper for you. And it's it's very fucking insidious that that happens now, where the prices are going up like fuck. It's horrible. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Very sinister. Yeah. Anyway, so having discussed briefly all of that, uh, Gareth, we mainly brought you on because, like I said at the intro, we have the occasional fascination with public transport. And one of the things that I've been like trying to wrap my brain around for like a very long time, but quite frankly, I'm too scared of it, is like HS2. Because basically every time I read anything in the papers uh, about HS2, or uh, it seems to like get smaller but also more expensive, and everything gets, like, significantly more stupid. Uh, it's it, it, called the Edinburgh tramification process. <laughs> <laughs> so you want yeah. to build a railway in Britain. <laughs> yeah. It's, yeah, I mean, God, where do you want to start? Where do you want to start? Just like, Because, good God, is it a rich seam to mine. Yeah, exactly. So basically just, like, some recent ish events that i think the latest one i saw was that the government was denying they were going to end hs2 basically in a field outside london instead of the london euston terminal that's already being built for like i think five billion pounds or something is the current money on it um 
<laughs> Although that was uh, uh, money from, uh, once again, our friends at the National Audit Office uh, came up, uh, you know, shout out to, to, yes. to, to our pals. Um, they were yeah. warning in a report in 2020 that the HS2 terminus just for London Euston uh, had doubled in cost uh, since 2020, now costs about 4.8 billion. Uh, this included at least 100 millions worth of work that had to be written off after they scrapped the original designs and just, I don't know, I guess started afresh or something. Pretty much, yeah. <laughs> these these motherfuckers literally are, pl- are building infrastructure like I play video games with trains in them. <laughs> <laughs> okay, yeah, all of this news, I mean, there's, there's still more wrong. I'm sure you're going to go through it. Like, and we'll, come, we'll circle back around to this, but all of this news should be framed by the fact that we have a government who does not want to build this project. So if you see all of this news in that context, it makes a lot more sense. Like, yeah. Oh, just picture it like someone who's got an axe, they're in a living room and they've decided they don't like their living room anymore <laughs> and they don't have to pay to fix it. They're just swinging the axe around and smashing stuff. That's basically what's happening here. But is that like new? Because from everything I understood from my reading of it, it's like at least under Boris Johnson, because he was a man who loved mega projects, that there was some enthusiasm for this. Uh, right. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Right. Let's let's. Uh, we'll we'll come back later to what why HS2 is good and what the point of it is. But in terms of why it's currently being screwed over, let's let's. Uh, I'll paint a bit of a picture for you. So, the project was inherited, uh, and we'll talk about the history of it. I'll tell you what. Let's let's do the history now. Let, let's let's talk yeah. about where the hell did this project come from? Uh, why does this government hate it? As I've just said, and and who and why has it come about uh, in that case? So right, the jump back. You, you've talked about the West Coast Mainline uh, in, in a previous episode. Well, the West Coast route modernisation that kind of gave us the, the the what was a good service on the West Coast Mainline isn't anymore because of um, Avanti. But yes. before that, um, what was uh, a pretty good service. Uh, was as a result of, of, of what in today's money was £25 billion worth of investment in the existing network to upgrade the West Coast mainline. Um, that project was an unmitigated disaster because it was supposed to deliver 140 miles an hour, uh, full digital signaling, like automated trains running, all sorts of stuff that it like did not deliver. It delivered a 125 mile an hour railway with tilting and it delivered not quite the number of trains uh, per hour. It delivered not, it, you know, it failed to them, but it did increase capacity or increase the number of seats per hour by about three times and um, before the project was even signed off by our friends at the NEO as being finished um, all of those benefits all those extra seats were filled by new passengers because there was an enormous latent demand for people to just use the train yes so as soon mm-hmm. as they provide that additional capacity the seats were filled up this is this is so like the, the, um, the what's it called again the Elizabeth line that's like already at 300% of estimate because everybody just wants to yeah, take the tube instead of build, build People want to take the fucking train. People are crying out for trains. Yes. You can just go on, you can fucking doom scroll. You don't have to worry about crashing into a kid on their bicycle because you can doom scroll and you don't have to hold the steering wheel at the same time. It's perfect. You know, Kiel Starmore hates it. This is what people want. (laughs) In Minecraft. um, President G, my my people cry out for high speed rail, yes. (laughs) I mean, mean, you're going to call anyone then. Yeah. Sorry, anyway, Gareth, well, we, yeah, we... Anyway, so uh, so you had this massive project that was basically an enor- enormously more expensive. Like, it was triple the budget. It was immediate... All the benefits were immediately absorbed. And people, like, scratching their head, like, ah, that, that wasn't great. Also, it destroyed the, the it destroyed rail track, like, among other things, like the rail track murdering a bunch of passengers. Um, it destroyed rail track, um, which was the previous... Iterate the private company that owned the, the, the rail... Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember, I remember uh, reading about that. Yeah, yeah. Public body. 
Yes, exactly. So, so the the railway. It's funny when people say nationalise the railways. Well, actually, the railways are nationalised. Um, they are owned by Network Rail, which is just a part of the DFT. Anyway, put that to one side. So, um, Sunk Rail Track was a disaster. Uh, the new Labour government at the time, Adonis was was actually. Uh, for various things on transport, had his head screwed on. So he kind of put electrification back on the agenda, for example, and he also said, we actually need a high-speed line. We need a high-speed line going uh, to relieve the West Coast Main Line, but also to absorb a much longer-term leap in capacity on the rail network, and also to allow, as, as I'll talk about later, like, all the other benefits as well, which, which we'll come back to. We'll circle back around to that later, but we'll stay on history for now. So, project initiated by New Labour, um, between 2007-2009, was officially kind of, said this is a thing in 2009-2010. Funnily enough, then, uh, G. Brown did his funny smile, called a woman a bigot, lost the general election. Uh, we had the coalition government. Coalition government, kind of broadly similar political stripe, frankly. Uh, so they mm -hmm. continued with it. You know, Osbornomics, uh, you know, apart from being really vigorously pro-austerity, um, although Labour were basically taking that stance anyway, up, running up to the 2010 general election, um, they basically picked it up as a... It fitted within the picture of Osbornomics and being like a bit of a growthy type thing. It was infrastructure. It seemed like a good idea. So they kept going with it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, um, and, and it was, and I indeed, think, you know, at this point, already a bit like closer to like a shovel ready, right? They'd already done the designs and stuff. It was, well, it's you developed... Know, so, so you have to remember, as, as someone who does this as my day job, you, you, a railway doesn't appear out of scratch. And, and any big wait, project, you know, what? you have to spend about 20... 20% of this, yeah, I know, right. I know, right? It doesn't just appear out of thin air. People have to design it. And it's a hugely complicated thing to design a big railway like this. For, for all sorts of reasons, we, we made it really even more complicated by the fact that we did it as one massive project rather than a, a series of individual schemes aiming towards a target. But we can come back to why that is one of the reasons why Britain screws this stuff up all the time. Um, so we uh, we end up with, with HS2. HS2 getting developed uh, into the Y shape that we know now, which was um, starting from London running up uh, to Birmingham, splitting one direction going to Scotland via uh, the northwest and the other direction going to kind of Newcastle via uh, and kind of Teesside via the via Yorkshire. So you have this kind of splitting Y that's split in, in the Midlands and connected the East Midlands and Yorkshire down to, to the West Midlands and then up to Manchester and, and Glasgow, the other end, um, uh, running on the existing network north of Manchester, basically. So that was the proposal. Um, it also had a connection to HS1, although that plan was a bit rubbish, to be honest. So that was always going to kind of fall. Yeah, yeah, but that one, it, got, that, it got developed, that, reached 2016. And sorry, go on. Yeah, yeah. That, well, I think that like that bit between where they were going to connect, like they were going to run HS2 through it London was, to connect they, to they HS1, were, which is the Channel Tunnel. It's the Eurostar. Yeah, it was always a rubbish. Yeah, it didn't make any The way they proposed it, it didn't make any sense. Um, uh, there was a, the original plan for because, fun enough, a high speed. This this wasn't the first time that it, we'd reached the point where a, we were there were sense, serious talks about creating a, a high speed line like this. And um, we were in exactly the same position in the late 80s and early 90s, where almost exactly the same line was being proposed then. Um, the early 90s recession put paid to it. But the original plans then were for a through station um, connect basically the, what is now St Pancras kind of um, Eurostar terminal um, was going to be a through station connecting up to the high speed line connecting you know one direction going down to the channel tunnel ah, north, right, cool. um, going toward, uh, go, so that was the original plan um, a certain Jeremiah Krobnins, um didn't like that plan he was the MP for that area as he still is um, and, and stood, weirdly our, our special boy um wasn't a huge fan of the proposals and they, and it was easy it made it easy politically because they were also very expensive to put it to one side and the government kind of pulled the channel tunnel rail link at the same time anyway so and also pulled the high speed line so it all collapsed into, into nothing and then we ended up with the with using St Pancras we ended up with H, H, HS2 kind of taking until 
basically 2016 was the point at which the current proposals were, were kind of finalized. Um, and that was the end of the, co- by that point, the coalition government had, had sacked it, you know, sacked it in. Um, and we had, uh, we eventually got to, so Theresa May, basically indifferent, was co- totally preoccupied, you know, an utterly useless government. Um, uh, and it only got worse. Boris came in. It's interesting you say Boris likes his big infrastructure project. Boris brought in a chap called Andrew Gilligan, who's a vampiric right-wing libertarian lunatic who's now back back at his comfortable home at policy exchange i was i was um, going to guess iea but I'll, I'll take policy exchange close close <laughs> yeah very close uh, very much cut from the same silk um uh, yeah so uh, andrew gilligan much as he's won his way into the hearts of the libs by pretending to be a pro cyclist guy um he hates railways he's one of these rip them all up and turn them into bus lanes type guys two, um, two wheels uh, fine more wheels than that four also okay more wheels than that Oh, careful! <laughs> careful yeah, now. Exactly. Yeah. So he um he hates hates railways and particularly hated HS2 and he uh, initiated the Okeby review to which was a review to which started the problems we've got at Euston because it changed the plans at Euston from being a two stage station where you build a bit of the station so you can start the service early and then you build the rest of it to coincide with the rest of the rail being built. In inverted commas made it cheaper, which as the NAO have told us wasn't true to turn it into a one-stage station and just build the whole thing at once. Uh, that was obviously a stupid idea. But that was the beginning of, the, of, of things getting worse and worse for the project because then they started slashing. Uh, you had the integrated rail plan, which was um, an absolute shambles of a proposal because it said, what it said was, well, instead of delivering this new high-speed infrastructure that was the whole point, we're actually going to do more West Coast route modernization type projects instead because those were so successful last time. I think this um, was also and, and the, kind of... the integrated rail plan was also the point where they said, actually, maybe we don't need the leg to Leeds or something, right? I think that's when they started like hacking exactly, off yeah. the so they just entirely got rid of that and said that they'll deliver that as, as that they would deliver it, but it would be with on-network, you know, existing network upgrades, which as I've discussed a bit with West Coast route mod is a is, is exactly the wrong thing to do. You, you make everything worse by doing that. And, and in explaining what why HS2 is a good idea, which we'll do in a minute. Um, I'll explain why doing, you know, replacing it with just upgrading the existing network is such a bad idea and, and defeats the whole object. So anyway, in terms of the history, yeah, you're exactly right. Integrated rail plan, they chopped the section to Yorkshire, which I would argue is the most important bit of HS2. Um, they and, and then also, uh, having done the integrated rail plan, they then added an extra chop, which was the connection um, that brought the high-speed trains back onto the West Coast mainline to head to Scotland. Yes, yeah. Um, that, goes through, that goes through Graham Brady's um, uh, patch, his constituency. That was specifically a bribe for Boris Johnson to attempt to remain prime minister, which didn't obviously work out for him. Anyway. Uh, that was, that's a, and I will just say this, that's an explicitly a, that was a bribe, come for me, legal people. That was a bribe. <laughs> the UK is fundamentally a corrupt country. Anyway, um, so that was, that's kind of, that's kind of brings us up to today, really, where government is continuing to slash it as much as they can. You know, they, uh, they're, they're uh, umming and eyeing about what it will do in Manchester, or if it will even go to Manchester, they're umming and eyeing about uh, how it connects to the East, to the West Coast Main Line at all? They're arming an argument. They're basically pulling, it, they're ripping up as much of it as they possibly can to just slash it apart, so that when Labour pick up in the next general election, um, it's very difficult for them to do anything with it. Um, they're trying to scorch the earth, HS2 essentially. So, <laughs> but I mean, so well. It- Apart from the Tories just liking, I suppose, not any kind of serious state building, basically, or state capacity building, or showing that the state can be functional or anything, is it just like, because I've always wondered, because like, you see sort of these different strains of like opposition to HS2, like there's just, you know, the car psychos, which is, a, you know, the top gear people who are just gone anyway, is it just like 
countryside Tories who have like an objection to new rail coming like through I don't know I a, think a the, part um, of the Cotswolds the top, or... the, the top gear people should be forced to live on a motorway. <laughs> yeah, they should, they should have to. You should put all of them in the house on the M62 that's between the two sides of the motorway. Just all of them have to live in that house. Um, yeah, no, the, the, there's an interesting and bizarre coalition of opposition to HS2 because it, it, the opposite to HS2 has been on a bit of a journey. So it started out when it was just a policy discussion before there were actual plans on the table. You mentioned the IEA. They were the kinds of people. So, you know, the Institute of Economic Affairs, uh, Taxpayers Alliance, uh, Policy Exchange, those sorts of kind of vampiric psychopaths. Were the ones the policy yeah. wonks? Yeah, 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 absolute pricks. They were the ones who were fixated on you know it was a policy opposition stance, and so it was very they were they were able to kind of paint lots of and you know libertarian uh, uh, kind of descriptions of why it's a bad thing. Those were fairly palatable anti arguments for the uh, Chiltern Tory NIMBYs to then pick up. Um, you know the green fingered Tories uh, in the Chilterns who would be impacted on it. So as the project started becoming a real thing, the the kind of the the the, the rich NIMBYs who have plenty of time in their hands because they don't have really a real job had plenty of time to build up opposition groups, the, the, alliance and, and, and stop you, your, your sort of countryside alliance freaks, basically. Exactly. They have plenty of time in their hands. They picked, and, and for them, it's very natural and a comfortable fit to pick up those libertarian arguments. So they kind of picked them up and they, and they kind of kind of got their grubby hands on them, quite literally. They kind of slightly environmentalized them, but in a very, as you say, countryside alliance kind of way. Um, the trouble is, a lot, rubbing shoulders with those folks are also a bunch of Green Party people and Lib Dems who live in those areas who kind of then transmutated those arguments into being slightly more environmentally focused. So then you started getting more discussions about woodland, more discussions about habitat impact. Don't get me wrong, HS2 has an impact, but its impact is like the size of one golf course. It's trivial. And the comparison, and even when you go and stand and look at the impact, the visual impact has like, okay, yes, that's that's what that looks like. For me, who grew up in Scotland, seeing industrial wood, you know, industrial uh, forest agriculture, I am have to say, uh, yes. not particularly phased by seeing a small piece yeah. of woodland fell. <laughs> Whereas a- people in the Chilterns who've literally never seen a, a, a telegraph pole get raised. Or perhaps slightly <laughs> more horrified when three trees get chopped down. But like you know, when you live near Benahi and you see like entire faces of like hillsides just getting absolutely stripped of forestry, you just don't. You get a bit. You, you perhaps see things slightly differently. Anyway, yeah, but, I but Gareth, I don't um, think you understand. So for those people, that's their sacred grove where they do the child sacrifices, and you know that's they're very <laughs> difficult to give up. And you know what? What if they anger their gods? This is it. That's it. They, they anger their pagan gods. This is, this uh, yeah, is why so, you can so never that, run into the Orkneys because at that point, like all hell will actually break loose. <laughs> oh yeah, well, in the Orkneys, yeah, you know, in the Orkneys, they just set fire to everything, uh, up Haley etc. Right. So um, you, you 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 get so then there's this transition where it goes towards the Green Party, and the Green Party start picking up, running it, and then and then it continues to transition and starts taking on a bit of a left wing bent in the form of like. Groups like Extinction Rebellion taking a really hard anti-HS2 stance. Yeah, why? And, and, and God's name did they? Because like, and puzzling. Presumably, it's the same people who fucking glued themselves to that train that one time. <laughs> yeah. Well, it comes from the same. I think it comes from the same mindset, which is just thinking. You know, it, I think partly it's that it's that baton race of the way the message has been handed from the opposition, from different types of the opposition, is that it's sort of sterilised and sanitised that. And you, so you end up in a situation where Extinction Rebellion people are repeating lines from the Taxpayers' Alliance, which yeah. is obviously bonkers. But and it's that kind of... Um, and that's not the to dismiss. There's not, there are other people who've got come to opposition more organically, but a, a big core of the opposition 
is has come on that journey. Has come on that yeah. weird journey. A lot, a lot of those people are the same kind of people with soup for brains that are scared of atoms if you say nuclear power too loudly. Correct. Yeah, that's, <laughs> it, that's exactly it. And and, and yeah, and, and there's the, the Green Party is like currently on a bit of a journey of, of, of changing its stance on because the Green Party they support high speed rail, but they just don't support the only high speed rail project that currently exists and ever yeah. will exist. You know, they, they want more trains. They are they do not want more tracks. Um, so anyway, that, that's the shape of the opposition. And, and yes, yeah, so this is a strange sort of uh, variety of people who I find myself uh, shouting at. At the moment, I spend most of my time shouting at the, the kind of the left wing and the green opposition because, frankly, there's no point bothering with the right wing opposition. They're a bunch of vampires, and the, you know, they will not be uh, convinced. No, and there's no. no need to. I, 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 the thing that, that that cuts to my soul is having arguments with socialists or at least with leftists who are opposing the project on on the basis of you know there are good arguments against HS2, but they're never made. They are never made. The, the arguments that always get made are the ones that have been debunked repeatedly, like, you know, how much woodland it impacts on, or it won't be carbon neutral for 120 years. These aren't, these are fundamentally untrue arguments that it's really frustrating to have to bat them back from otherwise kind of, you know, left-minded folks. So, uh, you know, uh, <laughs> so is this... <laughs> Is this a thing? Like, is the is the HS still too like still a thing that's like fundamentally worth doing, or are we now like at a point where we've spent you know all the money on not that the government can run of money, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, but like we've spent all our money, I assume, on some very expensive consultants, and you know, although there are, are some very cool drills currently uh, running around doing you know making making halls and hills. Uh, so, like, is this like still a thing? that are that is worth doing or should we just say like well we have this gigantic wad of money and let's presume that you know the government doesn't give it away to their mates but like would it would we just be better off like paying for an upgrade to existing rail infrastructure yeah so there's a few things to dig into there i suppose the first is um that you know to build the, the the ideal version of hs2 requires the bits that we're building now anyway so off the bat yes finish building the thing we have now the second thing is talking a bit about the construction industry is and because it's an interesting argument i often get uh, people who say well you know all this money's going to you know the, the you know this construction contractor is a tory donor and this construction contract is yeah a they're tory all donor. tory donors like, they're construction they're companies. all tory donors uh, the reality is they would probably be new labor donors if we had when new new labor getting to power like these construction companies that's just how they're also they're of course they are they're run by rich a rich guy and a rich guy is obviously going to donate to the tories yeah we could it'd be wonderful to completely create a new construction industry at, from thin air but the reality is we can't do that we just that's just not possible not not in the time that we need to kind of be delivering this infrastructure transport is the uk's largest source of greenhouse gas emissions we need a and the tuc have just you know the trade union congress have just published a really good report that's well worth flicking through talking about what change we need to the number of people who, who currently drive who need to be in public transport you know we're talking about you know doubling the number of people who take trains by well i used to say by 2050 but the tuc report is saying by 2030 2034 to meet the government's own net zero targets you know this is critical stuff hs2 if it was delivered as it was supposed to be you know without an intransigent government who hates delivering infrastructure it could have been delivered in full by that point at which point we could have been reaping the benefits of the main point of hs2 and i will now explain what hs2 is about because uh, there'll be plenty of people listening to this who perhaps don't know um, the best way I explain this is the same way that I've convinced lots of people, including various journalists, which is I told them to go and stand at their local station during rush hour. Um, uh, that's on that's on like the West Coast Main Line. So I sent Helen Pitt out to um, from the Guardian to the um, uh, shout out to anyone who is good at the Guardian. You're few and far between. To, to get uh, to get some all of the turfs. <laughs> to get some delicious uh, pizza, I assume that's what you send her out for. 
Yes, uh, that's right. Uh, Helen Pitt, I sent her out to the station um, uh, near her uh, at, at, at rush hour and told her to count how many trains whizzed through without stopping and count how many trains actually stopped and let people on. And she phoned me back afterwards and said, ah, yes, okay, I get it. Because this is what HS2 is about. Local stations that have that cannot have a good service because they have to have a huge load of gaps in the timetable to allow the non-stop trains on their way to London or on their way, you know, basically all the long distance services, non-stop trains to whiz through. Because if you have a 125 mile an hour train, in order so that it doesn't catch up with a stopping train ahead of it, you have to leave a huge gap in the timetable and you can't have many of those stopping trains because for the most part, you have to flight a load of non-stop trains through. So if you want to do both, having non-stop and stopping services, you have huge gaps in the timetable, which means you don't have much, you can't, you, it's very difficult to drip the capacity out of the line that you really want to get by what HS2 does, which is taking the long distance service plonk it in on its own lines and allowing the existing network, all those trains to bunch up much more closely together, much more of a conveyor belt, which gives you an enormous leap in capacity. So whereas you might have 14 trains whizzing through without stopping at your local station and maybe one rattly old sprinter pulls up, you know, at peak time, you can have every single one of those and more because you can actually squeeze the slightly slower trains close together. You can have many more trains actually stopping and serving those local stations, which is where people actually live and are able to get into the center. And then maybe if they want to travel further, they can then hop on the longer distance service via HS2. So HS2 is all about local and kind of suburban capacity. <laughs> you, hear that, Dave, about... sorry. <laughs> you hear that, no, David? What? More sprinters for you. <laughs> Hooray! That's it. That's what it's all about. Um, <laughs> So the, the HS2 is all about relieving the capacity so we can have more suburban rail capacity because that's the capacity that we do. That's the capacity that gets people out of the cars. The fast services are great for all sorts of reasons, you know, students, you know, holidaymakers, whatever it is, me going up to see friends or family or me going down to see family in London or whatever it happens to be, I'm in Europe. Um, that's good and all fine. But the, in order to get those long distance journeys, you know, ideally to obliterate the domestic air market, you need to have uh, both more capacity on... Uh, long distance air, great. You need the journey time, so that justifies having continuing to have the fast trains. So you can't just get rid of the fast trains. You need to have the fast trains to, to obliterate the domestic air market. But in order to get people out of their cars for those local journeys, you need more local capacity. And that's before we get on to talking about freight trains, of course, as well. So that's what HS2 is about. We need HS2. And we need a thing like HS2. And HS2 is the current vehicle we have to deliver that, you know, the, the high-speed rail and the country. Um, if we cancel HS2, as the Green Party would want us to do, to come up with their magical alternative <sighs> that somehow doesn't cut down any trees, um, that project is never coming back. We're never having high-speed rail in the country. No, there's so, a, there is a really it's simple way to like cut this Gordian knot, and it's just you have passengers get on the freight trains. Like, <laughs> job done. Like, you know, you, some, you see you see a freight train pull up at the station and you just feel that urge. Just get onto it. Yeah, yeah. No, no, no. no. Like, imagine imagine what on. we could, like, we could have a whole society of, like, we could bring back the American, like, 1920s rail hobo. Like, we could just have, you know, people people <laughs> riding the caboose. Everyone that would be amazing. Everyone into half-filled boxcars. The yeah. great yeah. hoboification of Britain. Yeah. Make it happen. Yeah. We need, we do, what we need to invent is the passenger rail gun. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I mean, in a way, in a way, is not an electrical train going at like 300, 400 kilometers an hour, something akin to that. Yeah, I would say so. And I think I want a future where people, I I don't think we should be diminishing the amount of people move around and see each other and and, and hang out and and, and share experiences because that's the way we make society better. So I think it's Mm -hmm. good for us to have electric trains. It's good for us to have electric high-speed trains. Yeah, but the the man doesn't want that, though, because of the 15-minute cities. I heard it on oh, Facebook. Oh, that, that's it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Facebook have told us that we, we, yeah, this is it. Um, 
Well, I mean, it's it's from a similar place, isn't it? A lot of the opposition, and 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 there's. It's interesting, yeah, you talk about the money side of HS2. So firstly, the HS2's budget has increased since the... I mean, the first number that came out, the 30 billion-ish number... Was yeah, that was always horseshit. Yeah, yeah. Like, exactly, it was always a horseshit number. Um, the first actual budget was 56 billion. And the reality is it's not really gone up much since then. If you if you kind of account for inflation, it's increased by like, you know, like, like 15, 20%, which is kind of, kind of okay that for a big... I was going to say, for a big project. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> This is insane. I mean, there, there are reasons Britain's useless at delivering big infrastructure projects. Like so the, the first thing is that, again, we're delivering this as one. So, OK, let's talk about cost. I, 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 I'm bouncing around here, but, you know, just, just interrupt me when you want to. But let's talk about cost. It does come up. Why is HS2 that much more expensive per mile than other lines in, in other parts of the world, right? Even when you kind of normalise a bit for, like, land value and stuff. Well, the reason for that is because HS2, high-speed lines everywhere else, particularly in Europe, but generally everywhere else, the high-speed line refers to the line where it comes off the existing railway network is basically just a bypass and then rejoins the existing railway network. It doesn't include the expensive bits where it comes into a city. It doesn't include massive new inner city stations. It's just basically the rural bypass bit. Yeah, yeah. So that's obviously a lot cheaper, right? I was going to say, it's gonna, thing, if you're, especially if you're going through like Britain, which is like yeah, much everything, more compressed everything, yeah, everything is really densely, pop well, it's relatively densely populated compared to lots of places that have built loads of uh, high-speed exactly, rails. Exactly, and we... And, and we, every, like, a bunch of rich, rich cunts own all the places that you want to put the rails exactly. through. Exactly! So there's... A, I'm, I'm going to segue myself here. So there's, there's, there's often discussions about four-tracking the lines out of... Um, uh, out of Leeds Station, right? So four tracking the lines out of Leeds Station uh, towards York, which is heavily constrained capacity-wise. And the reason that everyone hesitates is because it would cost billions because every building along that bit of wibbly Marshall Lane Viaduct that wibbles along before it goes into the cutting and then there's a big depot. Uh, that bit, anyone from the northeast or from Leeds knows exactly which bit of rail. I, 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 that's right, yeah, you, I'm looking at you. Uh, knows exactly which bit of rail I'm talking about. One guy owns all the buildings along that viaduct. And it's like the railway's like, yeah, we, we just can't countenance any engineering through there because that guy. Wow, is this is what he likes. literally the plot of a season of Justified. <laughs> <laughs> Weird. That you said you weren't going to talk about Justified. Um, yeah, that, so it was never so going to happen. The, no. <laughs> so the first, so that problem, the so counter so that, from zero to zero. <laughs> yeah, that's it. Days since Justified discussion. Uh, yeah. Um, so so the, this the fact that we've got this, you know, that that's an example of why it costs more because HS two per mile cost includes very expensive tunnelled city access plus max several massive brand new inner city stations which are multi-billion pound projects the way this should have been delivered is that you don't just say one big project with the name hs2 slapped on it you go oh strategically britain's rail network should look like this and we need to deliver all of these bits of jigsaw piece to, to build it and each of them can be its own self-contained therefore more easy to manage project no we don't do that in britain you have you we don't have any you cannot have a plan you can't have a strategy you have to just have one big project that you throw all the eggs into, and when the basket falls over, bursts into flames, and sets fire to someone else's house, uh, you just go, "Oh well, we we couldn't have done it any differently. This is just uh, where the fuck did we get these eggs from? <laughs> yeah, where did these eggs come from? Uh, why is it? Yeah, exactly. So that's the num that's the number one thing. The second thing is that we just don't do any of this stuff anyway. Britain is a low investment, low commitment country. Like we 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 don't invest in anything, and then when we do invest in it we then decide we're not going to anyway. So like the Treasury, and this is Treasury, this is why I say we have to abolish the Treasury. Yes, we Treasury do. Treasury brain 100%. just absolutely Yeah, yeah, we have to like, yeah, yeah. Or like, uh, we have to like clockwork orange the whole of the Treasury. Yeah, yeah, 100%. Uh, absolutely. Like, I, 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 
I, I am of the opinion, I, I'm all for repurposing and reducing carbon emissions by, with architecture, but it, I will make an exception for the building the treasury are in. Atomize that fucking building. Like, honestly, take it, turn it into sand. Um, anyway, the, the third thing is, is that we've come back to the construction industry. So the third thing that makes it just too expensive and also means that we just screw up these big projects is the fact that we have such a fragmented construction industry. We have a very high reliance on SMEs, like small and medium enterprises, rather than where, like, if you're in Italy or in France or in Germany, it's just kind of one contract. Yeah, you have, they like have a few one contractors, but the contractor yeah, is yeah. just the contractor. Yeah. They don't outsource. They don't have like a, a, an enormous like like kind of uh, quantum computer fractals worth of, of outsourced bits. You know, just if you know, if you're the guy who does the ecology surveys or the or the person who does the tunneling or the it's just that it's in that company. You're, the, the, that company employs everyone who does the stuff. Whereas in the UK, you know, you might have one of the big contractors, but they have you know. 2,000 subcontractors or something like that. None yeah. of whom can talk to each other. None of whom can talk to each other. There's co right. constant confusion, just like endless project management costs. All the project managers that have to deal with all that. Yeah, exactly. Just enormous, just, just enormously wasteful. So that's the reason why we screw this stuff up. You know, it's that it's the fact that we are obsessed with big projects instead of strategic programs. It's the fact that we're a low investment, low commitment country. It's the fact that we have this high fragmentation kind of within the uh, within the construction industry. So that, that, that's kind of why it's it's such a mess. Um, but but we do still need it. The, the reality is we kind of have to push through. The only way we make that all those three things better is by doing the thing. It's by doing more of these things so that our industry can get better at it. Because yeah. it's only by doing repeated work that our engineers and our engineering kind of support staff, you know, the, the commercial staff, the project management staff, can get better at it. I'm sorry, Gareth, but like that is just fundamentally un-British. The way we do things exactly, is we yeah. spend <laughs> humongous sums on something that may or may not be a boondoggle, and then we just instantly just disintegrate all of the institutions that were able to even consider carrying out that project like yeah. whether it be whether it be nuclear power whether it be the railways the um, Ajax any other sort of yeah yeah, yeah. nuclear power is a perfect example isn't it where we like we, we, we delivered size well be pretty damn well efficiently it was good well I don't need know. that any, that shit anymore and then we, we built and then, it and then we decided ah no that's it let's just stop now we don't need to just have a rolling program of building power stations and then therefore renewing them and going back and no no what we're going to do is give up on that entirely and then we're going to go to the French and we're going to just buy new power stations with much worse technology um, from EDF and it's going to be unbelievably eye-wateringly expensive where where previously Sizewell B was producing the cheapest electricity Britain has ever seen brilliant yeah, so it's, we are very good at that sort of thing, it's true. I cannot believe that you're talking Britain down over its French reactors. <laughs> <laughs> oh, anyway, so where were we? Yeah, there, there we go. I've, I've ranted about a variety of things there. Yeah, yeah, no, no, no. It's, 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 it's very good. So, like, I mean, the, the thing that I'm, like... Uh, I, I want to get on to like what the perspectives are for like this thing ever being finished for example because again the our friends at the NEL had some really darkly amusing things to say about that but like for, for me the first thing because I remember when we were doing the episode on the uh, west coast mainline is like the services on that that's uh, Avanti west coast um, and it's like I think they are also already like contracted out to like run these trains and run the services so like I'm already like yeah. well that's whatever ends up happening with like the actual infrastructure and, and you know the trains and what, the stations and all that stuff it's like no it's going to be dog shit again because these fucking people are involved again <laughs> so yeah it's interesting and in terms of the operation because the franchise system that that 
operation was sort of set up under has collapsed, completely disintegrated. And I've talked, people can go and, here's, here's my early plug, people can go listen to Rain Lights, understand why that is, uh, or anything I've talked about previously on any other podcast where I've talked about this stuff um, or written about it at length, like the reason why that franchise system has collapsed in on itself. Um, so I don't even know if that contract really will stand by the time ages 2 is coming around. Yeah, fair enough. Um, we're going to be in a very different, and this is part of it, I often find myself having this argument with people about HS2 on um, when they say, oh, well, you know, it's going to be run by private operators and blah, 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 blah. It's like, well, I, I mean, yes, uh, if it will be if you have that attitude. Um, like, the reality <laughs> is that it's, HS2 is going to be opening in a very different situation. Britain's going to be having, like, you know, one or two weeks of 40-degree days the country's going to be absolutely fucked by climate change by that point. And we're just going to, you know, the flooding will have written off large, you know, potentially written off parts of the country. Your coastlines will be eroding more rapidly. There's going to be some fairly apocalyptic stuff happening by the mid-2030s. So we're going to be in a very, very different situation. I would hope that politically we will have caught up by that point. Because if not, then, um, uh, well, we're fucked. But like, you have to think you have to think optimistically. The fact that we're going to be in a very different situation. If anti is as a name probably won't exist by then it'll probably be the, it's one of the last train operators that hasn't just been given a generic geographical name so i think avanti will end up getting gobbled up and they'll just turn it they'll, they'll call it west coast west yeah coast yeah but i mean as long as it's the same that. like you know incompetence and and sadists behind it they, you know the name change doesn't won't well, well it's like the least of my well, worries of course, basically. The, the, the main problem at the moment is that the, the, the most of the problems now are, are not really related to the private company at all because they're just essentially running it as a concession. So most of the problems are, are, are at the door of the DFT anyway now because it's so like, – because because everything is – well, I say DFT. The DFT, DFT is basically a lengthy corridor between Treasury and the railways. So um, with like one desk in it, it's like one really put-upon guy. Um, I feel, yeah, I feel no, like so a more apt description would be a road because uh, that's all they yeah, care about. Yes. <laughs> yeah, that, it, it would certainly have been road, uh, surface return right? yeah, for sure. Um, so yeah, Treasury basically, like, and, and this is true for the, the current railway at the moment, you know, they are asset stripping, like, they're not asset stripping it, they're just stripping it, they're just stripping it apart. They are, as best as they can, destroying the railways. You know, they're stripping funding from the from the, 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 the infrastructure maintainer, manager, network rail. They have told all the train operators to cut their budgets by, 20, by, by 10 to 20%. They are just stripping. You know, they cut. The t- in some places, the timetable is still fifty percent of pre-COVID levels. You know, so half the number of trains are running still. And and, and by the way, we still have ninety to one hundred percent of of pre-COVID levels of rail ridership. So you know, people are desperate to get back on the train yeah. more than ever before. In fact, and yet the the government is just. We've had this about face. What was previously a kind of cross-party consensus that trains were a good idea has been completely obliterated. Uh, because Treasury got so much, and it's basically entirely because of the amount of power that Treasury got during the the, the COVID pandemic. So that, that's pretty frightening. So all the COVID, all the franchises have collapsed anyway. So who actually ends up running the HS2 trains is anyone's guess. Because uh, part of the reason the franchise system collapsed is because no companies were bidding for the franchises anyway. Yeah, yeah. I have a sneaking suspicion if Stagecoach get kicked off uh, Vanti that we will um, yeah, fuck you uh, to all of the Scottish bus barons uh, first group Stagecoach. Yes. You suck. Yes. Um, we also uh, did an episode on t- buses. They're, yes, they're, fuck, yeah. fuck all those people, 100%. Miguel's an old get fucked. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, um, yeah, I, but even the reality is, stagecoach probably are not going to touch the railways or the barge pole after that. Like, they, they, I, I just don't think any company's going to pick it up. So, the, the irony of the government kind of changing the structure of the railways at the moment and saying, oh, there'll still be private companies involved. 
the, the, the only reason that private companies are, are well, the, part of the reason they haven't changed the structure is because private companies will not get involved unless they just have basically a guaranteed income, Yeah, um, which is what the, the restructure will give. Whereas previously, it kind of didn't provide them that. And some of the companies were, were in a sort of strange roundabout way, were kind of losing money on running the system because it was collapsing so much. But anyway, that's... We've digressed into current state of the railways. It is always fun to hear about. Trains are so good at pretty much, you know, you know, moving people around, which is fundamentally a basis mean, for the entire economy, like other than the chitty houses. Yeah, we want our health, we want, we, want, uh, we want shelter, and then we want mobility. Like, it's, it's a fundamental thing. That it's, it's an innate desire of humanity, right? Even in spite of, like, just completely fucking the whole... Uh, the whole system up by privatizing that shit trains are still doing the job that they are born yeah. to do and it's yeah and it, i like coming i like this it, it's a, it, it comes back to an interesting point that, that i like to make and, and i actually said it to a, a top boss rail manager who took great umbrage with it recently um uh and sorry but she was wrong and um, the reason that the rail so the, the reason the, the reason the railway is fucked is the same re- reason the railway is still working which is that it's, it's incentives it's all about incentives it's all about the mission the, the 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 overall railway's current objective is oh run yourself more efficiently somehow that is a, an impossible a, a target to a measure fucking, against and therefore fucking... the industry is flailing around has no idea what it's doing whereas frontline staff's mission is keep the trains running frontline staff's mission is get passengers on trains keep the freight running and therefore we're doing that very well despite <laughs> generally because as i say 90 to 100 percent of pre-covid levels despite the timetable being less than that you know so we're running fewer trains and yet we have as many passengers as we had before, before I, COVID. I do also like this like oxymoronic take that uh, in order to run a train like a railway efficiently you have less people using it on the white the like one method of transportation that becomes more efficient the more people use it correct <laughs> yes i mean i'll say again like yeah, I, no, I, no. I i live you know i live I live in Switzerland and it's like you're on the rail there and there's like trains every five seconds. They're fast, they're clean, there's seats, it works, you know, there's there's people, there's there's staff, there's everything works like well, like a Swiss fucking watch. And then like I come to the UK and I just have to take the train up to like go see my my, my parents in law, my dad in law, and it's just like Every time I sit on that fucking train, I'm like, why haven't you people started, like, you know, why haven't the red banners been raised essentially just over the state of the railway alone? It, I, I still don't get well, it's it. A classic example of, it's a classic example of, of Britain's failed democracy because the reality is that, that and, and the, the, the arguments over nationalisation are a bit, of a bit of a red herring because bringing it under state, you know, the reality is that the railways are under more centralised state control than they've ever been in their history. Yes. Right? It's the a facade of privatization, essentially. There's a complicated, exactly. There's a complicated right. discussion to have, but like, I don't think there's the, the discussion. Like, yes, we, there's no need for private companies to be involved in the in, in running the, the the top level train companies. It's just obviously so because by the time you push them to the point where you you have a private operator in this structure that's being proposed, it's like well, they're just there's no point to them. All you're doing is employing a separate company with a bunch of separate lawyers and accountants. Just get rid of the lawyers and accountants and <laughs> yeah, make them all in-house. And so building, building in a profit just for the, essentially just, for the sake of for the of sake it. of saying that it's a private railway. Yeah. Exactly. So that, so, so obviously that's stupid, but, but the reality is that that's basically the situation we're in now. And that most of the problems we have in the railway are government problems and it's government, it's problems from treasury, it's problems from government control. It's problems from the, the fact that there is absolutely no plan for what the railways are supposed to do. Fixing that requires a strategy, it requires a plan, um, requires the abolition of the treasury. And, and, it's, <laughs> and it's interesting that like 
but the, the but people want that to happen. There is incredible popular support for the railways for just getting private companies off the railways for having them as a state a, a state's kind of concern. Incredible popular support for that as policy, and yet it is considered to be a a, a no go policy for Britain's ostensibly socialist. Right. Uh, I want to I want to briefly drag us uh, back on like sort of... drag us back into yeah. like the world of HS two because like we can talk yes because we can talk about forever about why trains are super cool and we should have more of them because this could, is just that's just a fundamental. I'll bring truth back of life. we can talk at, at length about on trains thing. But anyway, yeah, yeah, right, sure. no, 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 I just wanted to like laser focus back on that. Yeah, uh, it's basically <laughs> like uh, again uh, uh, our, our good friends at the uh, the National World Office is like they were already saying like well maybe the the line to crew will be open by like 2036 and they their estimate is manchester like the connection up to manchester by like 2043 and it's like any you know do you do you want to like take a wild punt at it, a whether this thing will ever get done and b when it'll be done or it's like are you just like nah the neo has this about spot on because they're never wrong i want uh, to say that up front you know we we we, we, <laughs> we hear our stands of the nao <laughs> NAO stance, yeah. Um, I think they're probably a little optimistic. At current trajectory, I would say they're a little optimistic. I'd say at the current trajectory, we won't see... I mean, firstly, what's left, what, what's currently left of HS2 is a useless, it's like a largely useless husk anyway. That doesn't mean we shouldn't build it, because as I said, that, it, you know, that is the bit that you then add the other stuff onto to make it work again. Yeah. You're not going to dig it up and then rebuild it in the same place when you come back to later. So build it, yes. But with the government's current deep desire to simply not build it and um, it will uh, and the risk that i have a sl- the only ray of hope with the current labor party for me right now is is, is its transport secretary uh, shadow transport secretary is, is actually good um, yes she, she seems yeah she seems to be very good so at her good. job so and it's a, they also Louise seem Hague to is, be and she was like, excellent at northern Ireland secretary so like i have some optimism about louise as a transport secretary that absolutely 100 percent guarantee she'll get reshuffled out of there before the next general election yes that's which will be yeah, very annoying yeah. And then we'll be back to oh yeah, no you, whatsoever. You want to do something but, good? Fuck you! You're out of the party. Oh no, it's it's Correct. really it's exactly. really funny actually. Every time Louise Haig says something good, like we should nationalise railways, literally five minutes later, Rachel Reese is like running into a studio, panting, and we're like, actually, yeah. we don't know if we can <laughs> afford this. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. So I have like I have like fifteen percent hope there, um, but I, like like. It has to like there has the next government has to pick it up and has to champion it as a project as part of the big picture as part of the growth agenda whatever stupid platitude they want to call it but this has to be the jewel in the crown because without it Britain Britain is absolutely fucked for a variety of reasons but like this is a core reason for it because it, it represents the fact you know if you ask why Britain's economy is screwed a lot of that is because we rely entirely on London and all the other cities are basically treated like provincial villages like if you want a city to function like London build it build it with transport infrastructure like London has they might start functioning like London. It's not rocket science. It just requires a bit of imagination. I think you'll find... is a key part of that. I because think as you'll I say, it's find, unlocking that suburban capacity. Gareth, I think you'll find, actually, is that the real people of Britain live in towns, not cities. You know. Oh. So, <laughs> I think, you know, you're... So, right, so just before we... we yeah, we... so we need to build HS2 along the ley lines in order for them to actually Exactly. Work. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. We need to have the the druidic circle of Britain take over management of HS2. I think that's 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 a realistic answer. They but... can't do a worse job. 
<laughs> but you know, oh, yeah, genuinely true. D- I would actually quite like to see HS2 delivered by Druids. That could be quite good. If you got thing is, let's go full blast and just like get the goals to deliver it. Can you imagine like uh, Obelix building HS2? It'd be fucking slamming bridge piers in that. There's no mm. Great. <laughs> yeah, but, 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 finally, but, finally but, getting the upgrade to the Glasgow subway for the inner circle, outer circle, and Druidic <laughs> circle. But, yeah, the the whole of Britain is connected by high speed rail, except one small village in the Cotswolds that's still holding out. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's it. Uh, but like, uh, you know, but in an, in a but, that one small village has like a tiny high speed rail just for bees on the windowsill. <laughs> <laughs> like the little little Richie Rich uh, um, inside the mansion little railway. I like that. That's very adorable. Um, <laughs> But anyway, uh, uh, but you know, if we, uh, uh, you know, let's presuppose that we do raise the red banners, and you know, we, we, you are our transport commissar. Like, what would it take to like fix or like slightly unfuck the current well, like, project? So first example, apart let's from let's money, jump to Houston. Yeah. So, so well, money, money is what, as as all of us believe here, like money is merely rep- like a, a a representation of 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 the um, favors that we do for each other. And when you big that up to a country level, like the reality is, it's the resources that are the constraint. You could, the treasury could write a blank check tomorrow, and we wouldn't be able to deliver yeah. anything much quicker than we are now, anyway, because our industries are so fucked, anyway. So what, let's let's take Houston as a good example. There's a little microcosm of what you need to do to, to get Houston sorted. The first thing you do is kick lend lease off the site. So the big developer who wants to build a huge, he wants to make basically turn Houston Station into Birmingham New Street Station and put a load of oversight development on it. Kick them off the site. Just get rid of them. Get rid of them. Get shot at them. Um, so that only railway people and the local authority, Camden uh, and TfL, actually are the ones in charge of specking the project. <laughs> only people who moment... have ever seen a railway before. Correct, yes. <laughs> so get rid of Lendley's, sack them off. Um, that's the first, and, and that would enable you to actually start specking the thing. The second thing to do is, like on a broad le- on a similar level but nationally, is work out what the fuck the railway is supposed to be for. And how does it fit into that picture? Because only when you work out what it's for can everyone agree on the specification. Um, ideally, just pick up the 2016 specification and run with that again, because then we've got all the designs and you can kind of then just start start kind of developing those into being ready to build. Um, you know, that was the right plan then. The plans that we have now are dog shit. So um, go back to the 2016 Y, go back to the pre-integrated rail plan proposals, build Houston as it was supposed to be as two stages, um, stick to that plan, and then we might have a chance of building it, but stop bloody reviewing it and thinking that things are going to change and change your mind. And, and also stop like basically hanging a big, massive sword above everyone's head on the project saying, oh, we might chop this, we might chop that. Because it makes lots, it makes all the decisions about stupid cost cutting and not how does this thing fit into the bigger transport strategy. And that really comes to the bottom of it. Is uh, Yet again, it's the impossible thing that Britain cannot do, which is plan for the future. If we plan for the future, we'd be able to deliver this stuff because we'd know how. Yeah, but then we, Gareth, then we might have to admit that there is such a thing as the future, and then things could be very scary. Yeah, exactly. And it comes to other, I mean, you know, other things like the the, the wizard will fix it theory that Britain has about its own future of like transport emissions, as I've said, are like the majority of that is from road traffic, and EV sales are not going to be steep enough. Most cars on the road, when HS2 opens in 2056 or whatever it's going to be, like most AV, uh, most car sales will still be, or most cars on the road, sorry, will still be petrol and diesel yeah. cars. Yeah. EV sales are not quick enough. No. EVs also do not solve 
most of the problem, in fact, EVs only solve one problem, which is tailpipe emissions. That's the only thing that electric vehicles solve. The government has put all of its eggs in the electric, we picked up all the eggs that we set fire to earlier, we put them in a different basket now. Um, the, the government's put <laughs> all of its- This is my basket uh, of slightly, slightly charred eggs. eggs. <laughs> yeah, slightly yeah, we've taken, eggs. The, taken the burning eggs, put them in a basket with a bunch of batteries in them, and assume yes, that this exactly. is gonna solve the problem. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, and we're gonna just push that down a little, push that down a jetty into the sea. Um, yeah, no, the- um, <laughs> Where the, battery, the, all the batteries rightly belong, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> where the, all the batteries should be in the sea, yeah. So the um, yeah, the, the, just thinking about uh, increasing piles of batteries and slightly charred eggs piling up into the sea. Um, uh, anyway, <clears throat> that's, there's an image that's uh, that's uh, difficult to shake. Yes, um, the government's put all its eggs in the electric vehicle basket, and the reality is that they're going to be sorely disappointed if they think that's going to solve carbon emissions. Because they, the reality is that we need a lot more rail, and the only thing that can unlock the capacity to deliver those sorts of carbon um, emission savings is a is not like incremental online upgrades. Because those, you know, if you try and run more fast trains on the existing network, all you do is reduce the number of local trains, which reduces the number of cars, uh, of, which increases the number of cars on the road. Because those, the local trains are the ones that get people out of the cars. So. Yeah. They have to, it has to be rail. Rail has to be the backbone. And it also, I'm not an anti-bus person. Buses are critical, absolutely critical. We have to re-regulate buses, by the way. That's a critical thing we need to do. Bring the buses back to yeah, us. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's like the last leg part of the journey, right? Exactly. So you have to have a single unified system of, of integrated transport. And that involves, you need more buses. But buses are basically quite easy because you just buy the bus. Right, that is no. Fairly what we have to do, what we have to do is uh, is partner the UK officially with uh, those little electric scooters, and then then I'm, I'm sure it'll be done. <laughs> no, no what, what, Rob, what what you need to do is you need to go to the treasury and say, imagine a road. Now, imagine this road went up and down the country with very very fast cars on them. Now, yeah, <laughs> yeah, you could you could even do it in like Clarkson like voice if you really want to. Very fast cars. <laughs> yes. That's it. Yeah. So um, yeah, no, like HS2 is a critical part of our future. We have to deliver it. And and, and yeah, the NAO are, are, are pretty bob on with how pessimistic their their thoughts are on when it actually is going to get delivered. And we have to deliver it sooner than that. We need to. Be, the painful thing was that the 2020s was the year that the, was the decade. Sorry, that Britain had to build all of its shit that it needed to get everything working. You know, renewable energy, nuclear, and rail capacity upgrades. And at the rate we're going right now. Uh, is Hinkley going to be open by the end of this this decade? Century no. probably would have been a correct uh, question. <laughs> yeah, maybe I mean, by the end of the century. I mean, like Brit- Britain fundamentally is a country that hates doing things, so yes, it is it Move. is a big ask. Doing something makes <laughs> is doing something means that something real might exist, and it's really important that we have to remember that Britain is not I mean, a real we, thing; it doesn't exist. Yeah, if we start <laughs> if we start doing things that solve any problems, then people will start saying, "Hey, what about these other problems? Is there something we could do about that?" And then your hands start to become more and more tightly bound because you're yeah. going to have to start saying yes to more and more of these problems, yeah. and we can't be having that because that might things that might mean that things could actually improve. The fundamental, yeah, the like, fundamental since... thing with with the UK is like it's not a real country, but it can definitely hurt you. Like that's it's a paradox. Yes, exactly. but like... <laughs> it's, 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 a, it's gaslighting, but turned into a country. Uh, it's <laughs> Britain is in the room with you hurts. right now. <laughs> Fucking watch yes, out. Exactly. Um, yeah, the, 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 like over the last sort of jump back to say the sixties, um, back to when local authorities had a lot more power and, and, and had enough power to actually build big infrastructure. You know, it's a reminder that our motorway network was built, much as it is a bad thing, our motorway network was built not by national government, but by our local authorities. Can you imagine local authorities having that much spending power? 
Um, well, they should still, we should be devolving that power back to them so they can, because the only way we're going to build out the infrastructure is by devolving power desperately away from uh, the treasury, basically. Um, but, but, but the government has not spent, compared to our other stupid G7 neighbours, if we're going to use the G7 as a way to categorise countries, but compared to those kind of uh, high-performing economies, Britain has spent hundreds of billions of pounds less on, on infrastructure, like hundreds of billions of pounds less over, over successive decades. So there's an enormous infrastructure deficit. And the fact that, you know, you go to any city outside of London, it's like this, they, they have no proper dedicated mass transit systems. Oh, they've got trams that they call a metro. Like we've got the West Midlands metro. No, it's, it's a tram, folks. It's just a tram. You're getting aside about a thing that has existed for like 150 years. In fact, we've had trams for longer than we've had railways, for fuck's sake. Um, yeah. Don't get excited about it and don't call it a metro. Birmingham needs an actual metro, just like, uh, just like Leeds does, just like Manchester does, just like South Hampshire should. Like these places all merit having a proper, actual, dedicated metro system, like they would if they were, if this was Italy or France or Germany. Well, um, anyway. In in short, but you know, before we move to comment and comment or commentary, we once again reiterate our call to uh, you know President G to come and save us because we desperately yearn for freedom yes. and also public tra- high speed high speed and local public transport. Anyway, uh, David, before mm. we uh, you know before we wrap up, shall we play a round a a quick round of comment or commentary? Yes, we will. Um, so, wait, wait, Gareth, you is... are familiar with the game, right? Because just to double check. Uh, nope, and I'm I'm looking forward to uh, winging it massively. No, that's fine. I'll very quickly explain. It's very very simple. I will read you something out. You will tell me if it was a comment on a news website or something written by the cunt in the commentaria on that news website. The winner is anyone who didn't take a guest spot on this podcast and doesn't have to do this, so my friends would have lost. Um, okay. But for all this, a minority of Britons will spend this weekend carping from the sidelines. Some will make it to Whitehall and the Mall to unfurl their Not My King banners. Predictably, the BBC has said it will include anti-royalist opinions. It is always into balance when it comes to views which chime with the metropolitan left, although less so on other occasions. Can you imagine the BBC including an opponent of gay marriage and pride coverage? Comment or commentary up. <laughs> commentary Com- And I know, I think I know who wrote it as well. Ooh. Mm. Oh, we've got, we got another person who knows stuff on the podcast. It's just ruined the game. <laughs> <laughs> well, this is his, and on his once and only appearance, thank you, Gareth, for coming by. Um... <laughs> <laughs> Uh, no, I think this is commentary as well. I'm going to say comment just to be contrarian. Excellent. It has not paid off in this case. That just... was Ross Clark in The Express. Oh, damn, it was Ross Clark. I was going to say it was Brendan O'Neill. That was reading so Brendan oh, O'Neill. Oh Everyone my God, is I always think... going to say it was Brendan O'Neill. Yeah. Fair, like. <laughs> the thing is, when we get an actual Brendan article, it's so fucking bonkers that we don't... We like He somehow just slides under His the radar. twisted parody. So many... The thing is, unfortunately, uh, and this is, this is, this is too much cross cross-podcast seeding here, but my brain has been turned to mulch by Milo's versions of Brendan yes. O'Neill pieces, which means that <laughs> Milo's, Milo Edwards Milo's are is, I was expecting good, you to say, but they... and that was nine, 1984 uh, you know, uh, sort of ending. The, yeah, the I mean, Milo's versions are like I- I- incredibly good, but they're not as good as the last thing we, le- we read from Brendan about like how we are no how we are no longer superior to the animals, but must bow down to the god machine. That was... That was the most incredible thing he's ever written. <laughs> yeah, that, that was really fucking top-notch shit. Right, next one. There are a fair few things I'd like to see King Charles apologise for. Those meddlesome spidery letters he wrote to government ministers, 
his green doom and gloom, <laughs> Prince Harry. But slavery, <laughs> the British Empire? Just the con- no, just the never. Of Prince Harry. <laughs> Charles oh, should I, utter I... not one word of contrition for these historical events, for if even he, the literal king, were to cave to the woke insistence that the privileged must self-flagellate for the crimes of their forefathers, it would set a terrible precedent. It Good. Well, at the start of that, I was going to say comment, but at the end of it, commentaria. Oh, not finished. It would represent the final oh. victory of that jealous god of identity politics <laughs> with disastrous oh, okay. consequences for democracy. <laughs> comment or commentary. I'm going to change my Twitter handle to jealous god of... of what was it again? The, the jealous god of... <laughs> the jealous god of identity politics. Yeah, that's, that's, <laughs> I'm going to change my Twitter handle. I'll be right back. <laughs> yeah, that's Slanesh, I think. Yeah. <laughs> 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 uh, that's uh, yeah. commentaria, I think. That sounds like Leo McKinstry. That's, that's so full of itself, it has to be fucking commentaria. Okay. Gareth? Yeah, I'm going to go... Com- I, mean, I mean, at the start, I was thinking comment. The middle, commentaria. The last line made me think back to comment again, but I'm going to go with commentaria. It's like a Starkey level, kind of... Uh, yes, anyway, commentaria. That was commentaria... It was Brendan O'Neill in Spain. Yes! Oh, it was. Brendan is here. There he is. Okay, right. Yeah. <laughs> this sticks. Actually, do I'm going to save that one. I'll save that one. That's that's the last one. Um, in Moscow today, the Muscovites were treated to sinister displays of military hardware. The warning ramblings of a tyrant. Sorry. Is this Mike Gapes? <laughs> the warring ramblings of a tyrant who has stolen everything from them and the terrified, stony-faced, sheep-like massing of silent Russians whose every compliance with state diktats is a given. There was notably no yellow-clad cabal of demonstrators chanting, Not my president. <laughs> <laughs> so, you Does joyless Republicans... Be careful what you wish for. <laughs> when you take something away from oh, people, they tend to fill that void with something else, and it is really a happy trade. Comment or commentary? Yes! Oh, That's commentary. I like that a lot. Yeah, commentary. Comment. <sighs> Mike Gabe's commentary. <laughs> I, I, I real, genuinely real... be I'd be like, Caitlin Moran wrote that. <laughs> that was commentary. Um, that was from an article in The Express titled, so was it Putin or was it his double in red square? You decide, says Paul Baldwin. (laughs) Baldwin by name, Baldwin by nature, yes. (laughs) Right, one last one to round us off. The cult of the dog has gone too far. (laughs) Okay, stop, we're done. (laughs) Pack your bags, everybody, go on. Can't go for a walk in our local park as it is now a dog toilet with self-entitled owners telling you that their dog running at you and jumping up is only its right. And restaurants are also a no-go area for those of us who wish to eat in a hygienic environment. Last week, a chap had his dog sit up on the bus seat. Filthy animal sitting where my coat might sit. Hotel bedrooms are now (laughs) unclean as dogs are allowed in to lounge on the bed and lick themselves where I might want to sleep. (laughs) Comment or well, commentary? Well, wait, 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 David, David, can you can you hold on a second? I'm going to put my headphones on my dog, and then if you can read it again, and then we'll see. <laughs> <laughs> uh, commentary at yeah, I think yeah. 
If it's not commentariat, then they need to change careers immediately. (laughs) I'm going to say comment because we've had a lot of commentariat so far. Yeah, play the numbers. That's a dangerous way to play this game. Yeah, that is true. But I... (laughs) Commentariat. Yep, it was a comment. That was a comment in the Daily Ah. Mail. (laughs) Oh my god. We're all, we're all dog cultists now. <laughs> this was in response to a, a Richard Littlejohn Big article um, about the idea of workplaces providing doggy daycare to try and coax people back into the office. I'm assuming he was in favour, the fat cunt. No, no, no. He thinks it's um, woke nonsense. Really? That surprises me. He's anyway. always so open to you know self-improvement and people having a better work-life balance. Um, yeah, of course he is. That's why he lives in Florida and what's from home. Um, I forgot about that but yeah Mm. anyway that was comment or commentaria and that was the episode so uh, Gareth thank you very much for coming on Um, it's been it's been illuminating um, and we'll definitely have you back to talk about more real shit in the future is there anything you would like to plug Uh, yeah listen to Real Matter uh, tomorrow night in fact uh, on YouTube and and on all good podcasting platforms uh, about a week later when I get around to Taking the YouTube audio and putting it on Podbean, and um, yeah, no, uh, and, and on Twitter and whatever. No, it's been an absolute pleasure. Uh, that was the usual. If, if you like my chaotic ADHD fueled um, ramblings that go in all directions, then um, then you can get more of that on Twitter and on all sorts of other places too. Highly recommend. Definitely should. Okay, um, from us, it's the usual stuff. We have uh, bonus episodes available, patreon.com forward slash praxiscast. You can buy merch at tml.com forward sorry, praxiscast.tml.com. You can also see Twitch streams. They are Wednesdays and Thursdays. That is twitch.tv forward slash yeah, where we bring where we bring our own brand of ADHD madness. <laughs> yeah. Mm, yeah. Um, it fuels us all. Uh, and that's that's it. So I think we'll call it a night there. And again, thank you, Gareth, and see you all later. Yeah. Bye-bye. See ya. Bye. Cheers. Bye.